Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I had to go. This is the final word story time coming to you from, uh, well, an unexpected time to be recording story time. Adam Collins and Jeff Fleming hanging out in the sunset at Edgepaston. Uh, well, I suppose not unexpected that we are in Birmingham, but maybe unexpected that after the first day of the test match, we've decided to record story time for the weekend ahead. It's suboptimal. <laughs> I've been at the ground for 13 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm knackered, but duty calls. Mm-hmm. Duty calls. People need to know about 1938 or 1912, or other times when cricket things have happened. They're going to learn a lot about the early 20th century today, I suspect. (laughs) Um, We're going to do it as vigorously as we can, and ideally inside 60 minutes. Okay, yeah, that is often... (laughs) That'll be my preference. That's that's your pitch. That's my strong pitch. (laughs) Is that that how you got the wedding across the line? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I noticed that you, you listed a possibility of a 3am close you were like it will not go later than 3am that's ambitious the night before a lord's test oh, look, match that was more for the soaks that are coming over from australia that they right. don't feel like their night ends at midnight they've got another three hour um window post. Right. but yes getting married the day before the lord's test means that i won't be on the tonk until 3am indeed i won't be on the tonk at midnight i'll play a slightly straighter bat than otherwise might have been the case, partly informed by the fact that I've got a toddler and a baby. Yes. So there, there's that structural impediment that's already sure. there. Sure. Although I guess, you know, if your baby, say, wakes up at two in the morning, you could take them out to the, the club. An hour, what's it? It's kind of yeah. like a, the way we're getting married, it's kind of like a, a bar in the lobby that's quite cool. Yeah. In addition to the hotel, okay. that, you know, which is why that's open till that time of day. Right. You know, so. 
That's yeah. All. Yeah. So, so you know, if you do the the sort of baby Bjorn thing, put them in yeah. the in the yeah. wrap, and then take them out, hit the dance floor. That's a good point. You know, I you had taken Peggy out to two indie discos already with yeah. Winnie when you know the toddler one. I've had Winnie strapped on Peggy rather strapped on me for for those. So she does know what it's like to be yeah. danced with with me. I've actually been um, dancing quite a lot with Winnie recently. Uh, I've been I've been teaching her. I've been showing her wedding clips. Okay. Because she wants to know about. Obviously, she's fascinated with weddings at the moment. So I've been showing her. I sh- I actually showed her the other day. Um, I rust. Take the Rachel. <laughs> um, and uh, she's interested in the dancing component. So I've been on my knees dancing okay. with her, like doing little box steps around, the, around yep. the kitchen. Okay. Very wholesome. I mean, and particularly when you have a three-year-old, you can you can definitely do the Patrick Swayze lift yes. much more easily than you can when no. your partner is, uh, dancing partner is an adult. That's that's it. Yeah. That's it. We have talks about whether I should do the sort of Patrick Swayze <laughs> um, dirty dancing bit at the end for, uh, at our first dance, which is an on-starter for a lot of reasons not least my knees what's the great there there's a classic twitter post that's like uh hey man i don't like the fact that when you have a couple of drinks you always start rapping about patrick swayze (laughs) and then the other guy's like "Uh uh-oh it's getting a bit hazy (laughs) it's just dot 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 (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) what a what a name have you ever met another swayze have you ever heard of another swayze i haven't was it his stage name or was it his name name I, don't, I have no insight on this. I just um, know that it sounds good. Because Kevin it has the Bacon's word. name's not... I it's not Kevin think, Bacon. Yeah, he, he was... Um, do you know he was set to compete? If I'm wrong in saying this, I'm going to get smashed. He was set to compete in the 1980 Moscow Olympics as a gymnast. And really? Because of the boycott. Oh. In career. I'm pretty sure it's Kevin Bacon. Okay, so the if ban... If it's not, that's going to be quite embarrassing. The ban on dancing was very personal because, <laughs> yeah. in a way, he was banned from dancing yeah, at the yeah. Olympics. Well, wow. Wow. Yeah. John Lithgow plays the USSR <laughs> in this particular <laughs> version of Six Degrees Of. Yeah, no, I, I don't know about Swayze. All I know, is, I mean, it has the word sway in it, which is kind of a cool word to begin with. Yeah. And then it has a Z in it, which is a cool letter. Always. Obviously. Always. You know? So you put those together and it's a Swayze. He's I don't a know. pretty cool dude. Imagine well, if Jay-Z and Swayze did a collab. They might have. Uh, well, he died in about 2010. Yeah. So well, they had plenty of years when they were, what, what does Wikipedia say? Active. Yeah. They've been active in the same window for about a decade. They would have overlapped significantly. Significantly in, in a time way, but I don't know if they overlapped on the timeline. Yeah, if, you know, I think that chance was missed. Yeah, sadly. Maybe um, in the future. Maybe in, in the next place we go. They did the Tupac hologram when Snoop did a show with hologram Tupac. Right. You're not. You, I'm not you're really, looking at me with a face. No, it's not really my know. thing. Okay. No. So they they did. Uh, I'm not going to say reanimate. That's too strong a word. But they did a, a, a version, a replica version of Tupac Shakur oh, right. rapping on stage with Snoop at a oh. live event. Maybe like ten years ago. It was quite a long time okay. ago. So you know, maybe if we could hologram Patrick Swayze and he lifts up Jay Z and carries him around the stage, and Snoop I mean, Dogg will be there and we'll smoke weed every day. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, okay. All right. Well, let's let's do our thing. Um, let's see. Who else is recording up here? By the way, we should paint the picture. So we're on we're, we're on podcast row. Everyone's re- we're on podcast row. We've got Lawler and Haig. Yep. We previously had Sam Morshead and DeBell. Yep. And before that, just further down the road, we had Matt Henry Roller and Andrew McGlashan from yep. Quick Info. We've already done our podcast for the day out at the at Nets. Yes. Um, the Edgebuster Nets, because that means we didn't have to wait for ages to record or whatever. Well, the Brooklyn Nets, which is Jay-Z's favourite team, ah, just, by, just quietly, just linking back. So we've done all of our post-play stuff, but people up here are still doing po- Gideon and Lawler must be recording massive daily shows. They've been going for like half an hour. They're doing already. their podcast, I think. But, uh, yeah, no, but they're doing their like... You know, their, their daily rap, which we mm. do a 20 minute of. Sure. Feels like they're going deep and meaningful. I suppose you can on a day like today. You can. You could go on any day if yeah. you want. It's the beauty of podcasting. Um, but let's see if we can get into the background okay. of their podcast a little bit of. No! <laughs> 
Ned Pledge. Ned Pledge. There we go. It's the. Uh, did I get? Can, did I get a look? I didn't. You didn't get a look. Actually, okay. I'm surprised by that. I wonder if they've ever listened to Devastating. it. Devastating. Nothing I worse than being has. ignored. <laughs> Every podcast just wants it. Have I spoke to Lola once about, you know, what we all write on tour. He goes, mate, I'll be honest with you, I never read what anyone else writes. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd Pledge is the game that we play with people who listen to this show and they want to help fund the show. They want to support it. They want to be involved. And so what they do is they go on the Patreon page and they send through a contribution, an amount, but that amount isn't the normal amount that you would expect if you read the number on a coin and there was that number and it's always a round number, but they say, no, round numbers are not for me. I'm getting specific. I'm getting specific. And what they do is they find a number that relates to cricket. Yep. And we don't know what the relationship is. We have to figure that out. That's the game. That is how Nerd Pledge is played. It's not a Ponzi scheme. No, no. It's the opposite. It's a Fonzi scheme. Um, in <laughs> That's the, what my grandmother called me when I was a kid, her little Fonzi. Yeah. Okay. In the, it was extremely cool. I saw a photo online the other day of um, modern day, slightly older Henry Winkler hanging yep. out with modern day, slightly older Michael J. Fox. Okay. Well, slightly like, older man. Michael, uh, what's his name again? Ron Howard there? No, Ron Howard wasn't there. Okay. Um, he, he aged more drastically <laughs> than the others, I think. Ron Howard was, even when he was popping up to get Oscars in the 90s, it was yeah. like, Jesus, happy days didn't last yeah, that I long. Think, uh, yeah, Ron uh, Howard, even in happy days, yeah. um, towards the end of its run, was, was um, yeah. He was a little was like uh, Dawson, whatever his name was, in Dawson's Creek, who looked about 38 when he was supposed to be 14 or 15 yeah. or whatever yeah. it was. I'm like, you don't, teenagers don't have forehead wrinkles like that. James Van Der Beek. James Van Der Beek. Or, um, or the late... Um, well, the late Luke Perry, yeah, who was playing Dylan Perry. in Dylan when he was thirty, he was in high school at West yep. Beverly High, and he was in his thirties, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he always looked like he was made of leather. Um, yeah. That was that was that was a, a particular charm of that particular program. I still can't believe that episode where, like, that whole storyline. When they remember they made Nine Two One Zero Summer Edition, they made like ten right. episodes in when it was at its absolute zenith. Mm -hmm. with, with the whole conceit of it was that. Brenda and Donna go away to have a European holiday, okay. and then he starts cheating on Brenda with Kelly Garth, with um, Kelly Garth, Jenny Garth, Jenny, Jenny Garth, Garth, Kelly, okay. the, the, Kelly, uh, yeah, slash Jenny Garth, yeah. not, no, not Tori right. Spelling. Yeah. The, the original around. Nepo baby. Sorry, yeah, it's right. Anyway, I've realised now that I can't remember exactly what I was going to say about the plot. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. All right. Well, maybe, maybe that will come up again. Who knows? Uh, because our oh, first... Story time. Uh, good. Our first... Send pledge, in 90210. Cab off the rank. Yeah, absolutely. Send in $902.10. Yeah. That would be... Uh, yeah. That would, that be, a would be a record, kind of pledge. Yeah, record-setting pledge. That one, yeah. I, I think we're, we're at four four elevens, our highest so far. I reckon followed by two four six zero one, which was Rob O'Neill. Anyway, Lauren Kandasami has sent through one thirty-four. So it's one pound thirty-four pence. It's one three four is the number. You can move the decimal point around. And she also sent through a clue, saying this is much more cricket-related than my previous pledge. Her previous pledge, from memory, was the date that Donald Trump did the cricket address at. Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad. There you go. How's that for recall? That's very good. For My me. mastermind subject could be people who are on their pledge, where they are from, what their pledges usually relate to, and what their last number was. Well, where Lauren's from informs my answer. Okay. All right. So she says, I did some Googling to see where you might trip up. Mm. From my research, it turns out that this number actually applies to two people in the same way, in the same category of if that makes sense, it does make sense. Who each played some but not many test matches and each have a link to where I grew up. I wonder if you can get either of them. Good luck. Well, Adam, off you go. Well, I'm not going to get both. I'm going to get one. Okay. And I confirmed with Lauren where she was from. Barnstaple, which helps me. Okay. Help me place where I wanted to go sure. with this answer. Where's All Barnstaple? Right. It's, it's Devon Way. Okay. In the direction of Somerset. But what we need to do before we go anywhere, okay. DC, hit the music.
wouldn't say this is perfectly in the window of a DAB, but we're starting the show. It's kind of a DAB. Sure. You need to learn more about the guy I'm about to tell you about. If you're listening to Storytime for the first time, a DAB is a dusty old bastard. Yep. That is a cricketer from a long time ago who we do not know anything about and who didn't play much, but played a tiny bit of international cricket. Exactly. And someone who very much did that was Lionel Charles Hamilton. Palo Ray. You read that name and tell me what I've been look, going back and forth. And oh, Pellerette? I reckon they would have anglicised it. It should have been a Pellerette. Yeah, but, but the I confuses matters, doesn't it? We've... Pellerette. You know what I mean? Pellerette? It's like a Norman French name that's okay. been turned into a Pellerette. British name, I reckon. Well, so Lionel Pellerette sounds less posh without the I. It rings a bell. Has it come up before? It might have. Might not, have. not well, put it this way. If it has come up before... Um, we will find out before okay. there is a final word, Nerd Pledge Wikipedia, that does the rounds. Yeah, and, there is. And, and this will be clarified. Put it this way. If it has been done before, it wasn't when I was on, or it was when I was very tired and wasn't paying suitable attention. <laughs> and guess what? With a name like that, he was an amateur. Yeah, I bet. A right-hander from Somerset, which is broadly where Barnstable is. I don't think Barnstable's in Somerset. I would imagine that it's in the count. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know. I get a bit confused around there. Yeah. You know, I'm not from England, like... I think it's related to where Ali Aldroyd's dad used to be the vicar or the priest or whatever it was. That, that's, that's up in Worcestershire. That's up in yeah. Herefordshire. Okay. Not Worcestershire. Her- Herefordshire. Um, where the uh, cows come from. I'll get this right. This is uh, now, oh gosh, it's, it's, it's lost me for a moment. It'll come back to me. It's where a lot of cricket people are from, from that sure. same part of the world. Anyway, 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 anyway. So I'm dealing with a right-hander from that general part of the West Country. Yep. Lionel, let's start. Let's call him Lionel. Happy sure. with that? First, first name Lionel. basis. Yep. He was an Oxford what man. He achieved the blue in three of, in each, no, three of, all, all of his four years at Oxford, sorry. He was captain for two of the seasons in 1892 and sure. 1893. By this stage, he's playing for Somerset as well, I hasten to add. He was still a student in 1892, captain in Oxford, when for Somerset, he put on 346 for the first wicket in county cricket with Herbie Hewitt, which remains a club record at Somerset for the first wicket. Incredibly, because Herbie Hewitt was actually a Volkswagen Beetle um, <laughs> who somehow became animated and learned how to play cricket. Um, on the back of that, how, this is where I get interested in this story. The love bug, however, that's something that Wally Hammond <laughs> caught. <laughs> Did he ever? Did he ever? He was named one of what was then called the five batsmen of the year and subsequently got called the five wisdom cricketers of the year oh, in 1893. That's just didn't count bowlers. That's the, that's the vibe I get. That's the vibe I get. Based on one of the obituaries <laughs> I read. Because the obituary refers to wisdom, unless it was a yeah. misprint in the, in, the, sure. in the obit. But the key, po- key part of this is, on the back of that partnership, he was made a, a wisdom cricketer of the year in, in 1893. And how's this? It was only the third year of them doing the wisdom cricketer, so the third intake, if you like, and who else was with him in his intake, who's part of his freshman year, if you like? Mm. A.E. Stoddart, ah. the inexhaustible Stoddy, who right. we love so dearly, was also Wisdom Cricketer of the Year in 1893. And looking at it, for Lionel, he's pretty fortunate to get the gong. 46 first-class innings, an average of 32, mm-hmm. and made... 1,343 runs. Oh, that's good for the times. It was a different time back then. It were different time times. Yeah. I, I, I sought out the Almanac citation as well. In 1892, as everybody knows, he had a brilliant season. That, that's the justification. A lot of other stuff. Knows. A lot of other yeah. stuff about his scholastic career sure. at, at Oxford, but that's the, the thrust of it. It was also the year when he led Oxford to winning against Cambridge at Lords. 
and that does more of the heavy lifting in the citation, which goes on, which carries on to say, among the young cricketers of the day, there is no one better worth looking at. His father, an enthusiastic supporter of the game, spared no pains in securing him, securing him the best coaching, and we believe we are correct in saying that he owes a great deal to the valuable practice he obtained. So he's posh boy. Okay. Daddy, so he practiced. Daddy gave him lots of chances. Sure. Paid a lot of money to let him practice right. at a nice school. So, sure. and this, there's more of this in the wisdom bit than there is about what he did as a, mm. a cricketer in 1892. But it doesn't really like transfer anything to, anything hog wild afterwards. Like you know, big rap, wisdom cricketer of the year. But you know, much better in 1895, where he averages 46 with four centuries. Similar numbers in 1898. Then finally in 1901, he gets moving as a proper pro, although he's an amateur, but a proper county cricketer. Five centuries, 1,906 runs, highest score of 194, average in the 50s, I think. And that's enough to get Got him. declared on by Rahul Dravid. <laughs> that's enough to get him an opportunity to play test cricket. And what a couple of test matches they were to play in. We're going to 1902. So this is where they had, it's a very odd series. It's actually the first test of the series is played here at Edgbaston, the first ever test match where Australia are all out for 36. Wilfred Rhodes, seven for 17, if you don't mind Australia's lowest ever test score, happened in the first test ever at Edgbaston. Right. Did you know? Didn't. I did not either. Mm -hmm. But that's a draw. They get saved by rain because they're only three day test matches. Ta-da. Mm. Now following on, they're like 46 for one following on, but they're spared the defeats that they were careering towards. The second test is the one at Sheffield, Bramall Lane, which is the oddest of the test venues where Sheffield United still play to this day. They were promoted, weren't they? I think they were promoted into the Premier League back in May. Mr. Sheffield United. Mr. Sheffield United. <laughs> and there's a draw at Lords, which means Australia are 1-0 up with two to go, and we're off to Manchester, and a test match we definitely have spoken about on Storytime before. When he married Fran Fine in the end, they became Sheffield United. Very good. Mm. I think we're gonna, yeah. I didn't know where you were going to take that, but I'm, mm. I'm glad it was there. The blades. They called their their marriage the blades. Yeah. <laughs> they wore roller blades down the aisle. <laughs> right. So one nil up. We're at we're at Old Trafford. Trump has ton in the session, which okay. I was speaking about on air today because I thought Zach Crawley was going to make a ton in the session before lunch. Our man Lionel opens the batting for England in reply. Gets six in the first inning, 17 in the second. Out to Jack Saunders both times and his little left armers that we've spoken about before. England has set 124 and they're all out for 120. Trumbull, six for 53. Three run loss. Again, for whatever reason, I was looking at this today because of the two run defeat here in 2005 and, and all the rest of it. But it's interesting in the chase, England after 124 and none for 44 when he's the first bound out for 17. Ooh. So, you know, they're, they're off to a bit of a flyer. The catalyst. A little bit like 1981 here at Edgbaston where Australia are chasing 140 and they're all out for 124 and we're both in takes five for one. They get a good start there as well yeah. in, in that chase. Anyway, he keeps his spot for the Oval Test match the next week. So, bearing in mind, he's played in an absolute fucking thriller first mm. up. First mm -hmm. Test match, all-timer. Second right. test, so Australia retained the Ashes. He didn't play in the washout draw. No, he just plays at Old Trafford okay. and the fifth test of the series at the Oval. Another thriller. Ashes are gone, but England are set 263 this time. And they get the last 15 from the final wicket. And Jeff, they, they got him in singles. That's um, the as, as was said, Rhodes again after taking seven for 17. Right. Earlier in the series, walks out at number 11, 15 to get. George Hurst at the yeah. end. Didn't actually say we'll get him in singles. Someone made that up afterwards. You want to believe that two Yorkshiremen, yeah. that 
like if it's an apocryphal tale, they would have lived it the whole way through totally the rest of their apocryphal. lives. Yeah, I think it's been fairly well confirmed that Quite it's possibly. not true, but sounds good. But on in that second test that Lionel plays in, I haven't even written down his scores, but believe me, they were nothing special. And that's it. So he's played in a test that's been resolved by three runs and a test that's been resolved by one wicket. You've got to play in two test matches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do nothing. If you're going to play in two test matches and not quite meet the standard opening the yep. batting, they two tests like well that. So three of the four dismissals were Saunders and the other one was Trumbull. I love so it. getting out to very good bowlers. Kept playing till 1909. Kind of went more the amateur route. Played occasionally. Captain did 1907. Captain Somerset then for one year and played full-time through that stretch. Just one century in his last five years, though, so he did taper off. Finished with 15,777 runs at just under 34. 27 tonnes. Played lots of sport. Went into golf mm -hmm. after retirement. Ahead of his time, you could say. He would have fitted in in the baseball era, I suppose. Died at 62 in 1933. And I've got to say, for a bloke, and I've, I've told you about his cricketing career. That's all that's on his Wikipedia page, right? So something I read sure. on the way through. This is an epic Wikipedia entry on a guy that, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I read all of it. Why would you? I, I, I went through scorecards. There is so much detail about this guy's life. He doesn't even get a quick info blurb. Right. right. But he did have a lovely obituary in the Times that said, how's this? He was the most beautiful batsman to watch of all time. The Times, cool. the Times wrote that in 1933. Okay. The most beautiful batsman of all time. Why is he 134? Of course, he's cat 134 for England. Two of the best tests ever, and a, I suppose a sense of timing in more ways than one. Lionel Charles Hamilton Pallarat with the superfluous eye. And that's for Lauren Kandasami. Great human being. Well, I mean, it's going to be quite a stir when you have to alter the quiz on the screen to put up who is the most beautiful batsman to watch of all time. And you're like, actually, I'm sorry. It's not, <laughs> it's not Sachin Tendulkar. Did you see the last question? I missed this. Someone, a listener told me this. The greatest icon in cricket history was day five at the Oval last week. Guess oh, who won? Yeah, I'm, I'm giving you short odds on SRT. <laughs> that I can come at. Like, that's actually probably true. It's just you... more that, like, you know, why bother putting any other name up? Sure, then? sure. I mean, it's a, it's a lay down misere. But fundamentally, if you're, you know, if you're talking about the most recognisable player, then um, that's, that's it, basically. The one yep. who represents the most number of things. G'day, guys. This is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lehman. All right, very good. That is Lauren, and uh, George Pearson is next up with $4.80. That's in Australian currency, 480. Right, so we've got a clue for you, Jeff, your first number. Uh, it reads, though it's bordering on a Julio just to celebrate the final word and the gentleman of Philadelphia, since no one who wasn't there would find the story that interesting. I'll let you guys decide what you want to do with that. It's a bit sort of... It's sort of vague. I'm, I'm interested in how you're interpreting this. I, I interpreted this to mean that the number isn't that important. And the right. number could just be a Julio. Okay. Um, so, you know, a Julio pledge, if you don't know, is the opposite to a nerd pledge. It's when you don't have a reason behind your number. You just want to contribute to help the show. That's a great thing to do as well. So this one, I thought, well, uh, we've talked about the gentlemen of Philadelphia before. They were a the cricket gents team. Of Philadelphia. I was watching the cricket. I didn't know what I felt I was. Unrecognisable to myself. He's playing right now. 
the boss. He's playing Springsteen. In Birmingham? He's playing Birmingham tonight. Really? Yeah, but he started at like 4.30 p.m. So I was thinking oh. of trying to go after this, but even though he plays three-hour sets, I, I would have maybe made it for the last <laughs> half hour. You'll get there just for the chance of the Yeah, it didn't seem quite worth the um, racing across town to Villa Park to catch the last 30 minutes. Um, although I would have gone if it had been a later show. What a live performance. Good God energy reserves that man has now the gentleman of philadelphia played sort of 1800s early 1900s and then there's a handful of other games they play sort of up to the mid 20th century but really well there's a philadelphia team that plays its last match in 1967 i think but that's not quite the gentleman of philadelphia but they're they're one of those kind of mostly amateur oddball kind of collections of players who do their thing for kicks i suppose now philadelphia as, as in the modern city of Philadelphia, also has a cricket team. And if we're talking about that cricket team, we're talking about minor league cricket. We've okay. had two seasons of that already. They're allegedly starting a third season shortly. I, I've heard a few conflicting reports about whether the, and the major league cricket's actually starting, whether that's going to happen. There's probably I, I, enough money I suspect, in it. Um, without giving away too many things I've been told in confidence, I suspect that major league cricket will get off the ground. Yes. But a lot of other shit's going down. Again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, Again. And there's the, the US cricket authorities who are supposed to be hosting a World Cup next year and whether that will happen and, yeah. and all the rest of it, right? So Major League is kicking off. We've got the Texas Super Kings, the LA Knight Riders. I feel like that's a good fit, actually, LA. The Mumbai Indians, New York. <laughs> that's my favourite name for a franchise. Yeah, we're the Mumbai Indians and we're from New York. Uh, the Washington Freedom. Uh, that's right up there. Um, the Seattle Orcas and the San Francisco Unicorns. They're all getting together so those six teams they're playing in Houston and in Morrisville North Carolina this is what I like there's a sort of town way on the outskirts of Raleigh you know Raleigh North Carolina is a great it's a great location in music I always know. thought it was Raleigh is it well, Raleigh is it's it? Raleigh it's really Raleigh if you, it depends if you've got the accent it's okay. Raleigh Raleigh if it, you, like think about an old Crow Medicine show kind of thing you know I'm, I'm hoping for Raleigh to see I my spent a, I spent tonight. a fortnight in the Outer Banks of North Carolina as a 17 year old right it's bloody delightful. Out of Spring Banks. break. Isn't that a TV show, Out of Banks? Couldn't tell you. Pretty sure. But I did spend some time there. Two yeah. weeks, to be precise. Whole but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Wagon Wheel by Old Crow Medicine Show is one of many songs that name-checks Raleigh. Uh, John Daniel of Mountain Goat spent a lot of time. I think he's originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. Anyway, a lot of, lot of, lot of great musicians from the States come from there. They have a cricket ground, apparently. But the minor league, the minor league has 27 teams at the moment minor league cricket in the US. It has conferences, it has had some teams that have come and gone already. And I just want to run through them really quickly in terms of how the, the ratings of team names from shithouse to good. On the boring end of things, Chicago Tigers, Fort Lauderdale Lions, DC Hawks, New England Eagles, come on, boring. Yeah. Lions, Tigers, Eagles. Hawks, Eagles, yeah, yeah, whatever. Blah, blah, Dallas Mustangs. I mean, even that's yeah. pretty derivative. Houston Hurricanes. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't. JFK in the back of a Mustang in Dallas? Uh, I thought it was a Cadillac. Oh, Cadillac, sorry. That yeah. would be really off-colour if it was. Yeah, it'd be a bigger, it was a bigger vehicle, I think. It <laughs> right. needed to fit more people in it. Yeah, they have all the meteorological ones. Imagine like, they did name it after that, the Dallas yeah, Cadillacs. No, not, not so good. Not the, the Dallas long-range scopes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. You'd have to did you see they solved that? What, the JFK shooting? <laughs> About 10 years ago. Yeah? They, did, they like... What's it? Did you hear they solved that? Um, what sort of line's that? They basically worked out it was the bloke in the car behind who discharged his rifle accidentally. Who, what? Yeah. What, so old mate up in the book depository just was having pot shots and 
missed. Well, that, I mean, it's the second shooter theory, isn't it? That, right. That where did the, how did his head get blown in the other direction, right? So it's in all, in all probability, Lee Harvey Oswald did have the, you know, had a say as well. Had a right. say. <laughs> yeah, dictated terms to an extent. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've, um, I'll, I'll have to read up on this. I have no idea. Can you, can you what, some other back? bloke accidentally popped him. Well, he, the guy that burst out of his seat when the first gun started firing accidentally yeah. discharged his rifle. Talk about his, a fucking own goal. As well. Talk about no, what? So he's security for the president, and then he so. accidentally shoots the president while so. trying to stop someone shooting the president. I guess so. better than the grassy knoll. I mean, well, maybe not. Maybe I mean, the grassy knoll's more but interesting. That's like have that's you ever quite right understood how? So Jack Ruby, right? Mm. Who shoots. Oswald, Oswald the next day. Yeah. Why is Oswald doing a doorstop interview? <laughs> I thought um, he was being moved from one prison to another. He's pretty much Ruby doing an interview it. for television, but yeah, he's being. But it's all right sure. to where he's just doing a quick, you know, got doing a quick okay. doorstop. Dan Cheney's there with his dictaphone wow. underneath him, and then um, it's been a tough day out there on the field, Lee. <laughs> uh, how are you feeling after that uh, that night in prison? Uh, so uh, you, like, you had a shot early, you took it. Uh, how do you feel? And then and then you got, I mean, what's Jack Ruby thinking? Why, like, why do it? Like, why? Well, Jack Ruby, that's, always, that's, that's, that's the question. It's like, who got to... Obviously, someone gets to Jack Ruby and says, well, either, like... I mean, you can't really buy him off. Because he gets popped as well, doesn't he? I think he dies in prison. But I reckon, I reckon Jack Ruby also gets assassinated. There were way new assassinations in the 60s in the It's like, in the they're US. cleaning house. They want to make sure... But just no generally, generally speaking... Someone's got something over US Jack Ruby. US assassinations yeah. in vogue. But, but they're like, okay, you've got to do this, otherwise whatever. We're going to pull whatever lever we're going to pull and something right. bad's going to happen to you. Okay. So, you know, obviously, he's, he's obviously coerced into doing it in some okay. way. He's a small-time, petty, crim kind of, kind yeah. of dude, Jack yeah. Ruby. So he's got, some, he's got some stuff that's not so good hanging over his head, I okay. suspect. But he probably doesn't know that he's going to also, you know... It's like the photo of the astronaut with the gun to the back of the other astronaut's head, but they just keep on going. There's just always another astronaut. <laughs> Everybody involved gets taken down. Anyway, that's a long diversion from the Dallas Mustangs. Via the meteorological, the Houston Hurricanes, Atlanta Fire, Atlanta Lightning, two Atlanta teams in this economy, crazy. Seattle Thunderbolts, Orlando Galaxy, Chicago Blasters, dull, all dull. Okay, in the middle, New Jersey Stallions, I don't mind entirely. There's a bit of that Italianate connection, a bit yeah. Sopranos, yeah. a bit yeah. Stallone, a bit Italian Stallion kind of stuff. Golden State Grizzlies, Morrisville Raptors, New Jersey Cavaliers, they're all very basketball. basketball they're trying names, to sort yeah. of tap into that. Lone Star Athletics, no, that's Texas, like the Lone Star State, but it being the Athletics, like the Oakland A's, yeah. that's stealing stuff from baseball. Meh. It's meh. The names that are kind of almost like they're a bit funny, the St. Louis Americans. I like oh. that. If you've got the Mumbai Indians, you can have the St. Louis Americans. Ashkar Afghan. Yeah, it's your favourite um, TV show, the Americans, so you it can is. follow them as your okay. franchise. Uh, I Never even change name like Ashkar <laughs> Afghan did, though. <laughs> no. Hello, my name is Johnny American. <laughs> There's got to be someone called who changed their name to like Steve America or something, yeah. surely. The Empire State Titans, that's almost good. You're thinking like Jay-Z again, Empire, Empire State, State of Mind. Of mind. Yep. Um, but then why put Titans on the end of it? Like if you're the Empire State, why not be the Emperors or something like that? Doesn't doesn't mm. link. You're going back to Greek mythology and yeah. then the Manhattan Yorkers, that's almost good, but you've got to be the New Yorkers, surely. Like, yeah. I know that's the joke, but you've got to still use the part of the no, joke sure, that's yeah. good. The New Yorkers, that's it's funny, cut. that's cricket. 
No, anyway, and then you get into the, these are the few that have actually something going for them in a weird way. The Silicon Valley Strikers. Strikers is boring, but that's funny that the, the, the Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley has a team. Also, I'm guessing that most of Silicon Valley is not really in favour of strikes or strikers. True. Yeah, probably fairly anti-union part yeah. of the world up there. So that's funny. The Hollywood Master Blasters. Your whole team can't be Master Blasters. You can have one Master Blaster. <laughs> that's the point. Everyone else is a blaster. There's already a team called the Blasters. No, no, we're the Master. We're the Super Kings. You can be the kings but we're the super kings the socal lashings socal is southern california if you're not uh, au fait with the term but lashings lashings is a cricket team at a place called lashings but if you are the lashings like there's only two uh, meanings of lashings that i can think of so and that's Warnie like, played for when he was suspended for yeah getting on the masking agents yeah. <laughs> lashings like lashings of ginger beer like in a blighton style yeah, yeah or yeah. lashings like getting whipped you know, and maybe that's a recreational thing in Southern California. It's probably quite, quite the do what you want to do. Quite the time. Do what but, you want to be. but if you are the team, wear the lashings. The East Bay Blazers, like that East Bay of San Francisco, like per capita, got to be one of the highest blazed up <laughs> parts of the world. So the East Bay Blazers works. The San Diego Surf Riders. I love this. You know, there's a word for people who ride the surf. Like <laughs> we already have a word for that. No, no, we're the surf riders, not the night riders. My Almost favourite, the Michigan Cricket Stars. How's that for a team name? That should have to fold. <laughs> they should be forced to fold. Oh Sorry. What do you want Sorry. to call your team? We're the Cricket Stars. Imagine, imagine the indignity of... Like, imagine where you'd have to be in your life to follow a team called the Michigan Cricket Stars. Cricket Stars head coach said today that the Cricket Stars they, will be they looking to take a positive. They wouldn't be able to recruit. <laughs> their, their, their buying power would be limited yep. or their, their purchasing power you know with getting recruits why, why would you counter it's playing for that do you want to be a cricket star join the cricket stars no I the michigan cricket stars and then that brings you to the top of the pops from philadelphia the philadelphia philadelphians ice cold does what it says on the tin yep Straight in, straight okay. out. So we talked about the gents of Philadelphia plenty. The modern incarnation is these guys. Liam Plunkett's playing for them oh. um, back for this season. They say he's the biggest brand ambassador of cricket in the USA. Um, he threw out the first pitch at a Phillies game, a baseball game, recently. Wow, really? uh, they've got Jonathan Fu. Barrett was very excited to see me looking up the profile of Jonathan Fu. He's like, oh, I know Jonathan. Of course he does. I've never heard of Jonathan Fu. He was, um, he's, he's kind of chunked up a bit more recently, but he's a... a Guyanan Chinese leg spinner, fairly rare commodity. Oh, he's, his parentage is mixed. He's got Indian and Chinese parentage, and so he's he's a rare. There aren't a lot of Chinese heritage players in, at any level of cricket, and he he played a big part in a champ, was it Champions League when they did that sort of yep. best T20 teams thing yep. about ten years ago, and he had a key hand in a CPL final at some point, I think. Anyway, he's there. Um, they've said he's back for yet another season. They've only played two seasons, but he's back for a third, so that's yet another season. He's their wild card. Don't know what that means in the draft, but anyway. Okay. And according to Philly, their aim is to reinstate Philadelphia and Pennsylvania at large to the original glory of being the nation's cricketing hub and scale up the sport at a professional level in America. They're going to build a top-quality team, invest at grassroots level, develop infrastructure and work closely with the local community. It's all happening in Philadelphia. This is the place. Last season, they ended up coming in third, didn't quite make the playoffs as they went up in the Atlantic Conference with their rivals from New York and Jersey and yeah, the Manhattan Yorkers. Um, well couldn't get past them in the end uh, Morrisville Raptors all the rest of them so they they just missed out on playoffs in third spot behind the Stallions and the Yorkers but um 
you know, they'll go around again. I don't know what the 480 means, but that is all I can tell you about cricket in Philadelphia. Well, I'm, I'm really glad I've learnt that. So thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to sit up in my seat. I've been lounging for the last quarter of an hour. Sure. You've told me about minor league cricket, spoke about JFK's assassination and all the rest. <laughs> my second number is Anna Collins, 1363 mm-hmm. GBP. Doesn't give us a clue, and I'm glad she hasn't. Her last number was about the Sunrisers, who Anna's a dedicated fan of. She knitted a jumper for Winnie, for one of Winnie's dolls, very early on in the piece, which still sits on the Bangladesh mascot thing that I think you might have acquired for me, possibly, out the back. Remember the T20 merch? Oh, yeah. It was on the bargain basement sale when COVID hit. Anyway, so the Bangladesh top doesn't sit on the, the koala anymore. It's the... Um, it's the top that Anna knitted for, for winning. Anyway, 1363. Uh, I thought maybe Test Match 1363, just to start with. Um, it's not a bad one. India all out for 81 in the fourth innings at Bridgetown in 1997. Ian Bishop, four for 22. We talked about this. Is that, is that the five for 81 when they've got everyone's retired hurt? Oh. Um, oh, no, that's the no, 81. 81's, it's the one. 81 all out is the podcast as well. Oh, that, it is. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, it game. is. Of course that's, it is. That's, yes. That's um, Sid V. And, no, but I'm trying to think of the bowler in the game, Abe Kuravilla, who Bharat spoke about on her story time a couple of months ago about that very match. Maybe I should have done an answer on this. I have not. Okay. I have not. No, well, we, did, we covered this match extensively oh, good. in, in well, that, in that it, answer. Well, in, in, well, I'm glad I'm not going to tell you any more than the fact that Bish took four for 22. Mm-hmm. She made 137 not out earlier in the match. Yeah, I did consider going into Sunrises again. Have a look at all that. But instead... 13 for 63 was irresistible to me. Mm-hmm. I love big match figures, and I cannot lie. <laughs> so I asked Andrew Sampson for a list. Because there's that's no that's list. The other, that's my, my all-time favourite ever Twitter post was the, I like big butts and I cannot lie. My brother likes big butts and he cannot tell the truth. You may ask each of us one question <laughs> to pass these dungeon doors. It's perfect. It's pitch perfect. Surprisingly, 13 for 63 hasn't been taken often in first-class cricket, four times. And I'm going to tell you about all of them. Okay. Are you excited? I am. Gear up. Let's <laughs> not get carried away. <laughs> Took a bag. Could do that too. <laughs> Night is young. Uh, I, the, the, the most recent of those was uh, last year, AJ Mandel. Um, mm. as he's sort of part of CSK land. Right. Um, in his 20s, going strong, left-arm spinner. Good on him. Sounds like a good rhyming slang as well for sandals. AJ Mandel. Grab a pair of AJ Mandels. AJ Mandels. Go for it. Um, yeah. the, the other day, I, um, Ali Martin referred to a side having a Guy Rundle first. I'm like, fuck, I've really made a contribution to the yeah. discourse, haven't I? I want, yeah, Who would I've, have thought that Guy Rundle, columnist for Crikey, would end up being, because of me, <laughs> be used amongst other human beings yeah. as rhyming slang for bowling first, having a Guy Rundle? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't resist it. I picked it up from you as well, but I thought for a long time, I thought we were the only two people who say <laughs> this. Um, well, we, and, br- we, and, we more or less are. And, and yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tip there's a huge Rundle audience in the UK. I'm sure there'd no. be some devotees. But oh, I mean, he's a silly old duffer columnist. I don't think that many people over here are reading him. That's probably a bit unfair. Used to be quite readable. Not sure if he is anymore. I haven't read him in a long time. Have you? I just found him entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. So. Used to hate the government I worked for. Mm. Anyway, AJ Mandel. Yeah, that was last year. But really nothing interesting about an orthodox spinner who cleaned up last year, right? Like, you know. Sure. You don't want to hear that story. I don't want to tell that story. How about Surajit? Mohapatra. We'll do that one next. That okay. was for Arissa against Tripura in Cuttack in 1988, 13 for 63 match figures. Took an even 100 wickets in the 80s and 90s, playing for Arissa with his medium paces. Mm-hmm. Took a hat trick in the game where he took 13 for 63. 
Um, not for nothing. Next on the list, so yeah. brief brevity so far. Sure. I, I give a bit more later. Okay. I'm, bu- I'm building. All right. I'm building here. Third in the list is a chap by the name of Shahab Budin. Mm-hmm. Now, this was back to 1933. Love this. Got to go, go 55 years back between your 13s for 63. People always say that. Yeah. For Indians against Europeans in the, I guess that was the old um, pentangular yeah. tournaments. Yeah, they? cop that, Europeans. Yeah, cop that. You stuck-up colonials. Yeah, we'll stick it up How the Parsis like 13 next. for 63? Yeah. We've, did, we've done you the Europeans, then we'll do the Parsis, then mm-hmm. we'll do the Muslims. Yeah, we'll Parsi the parcel. And then we'll do the one that plays the violin. Took a bit more violin, violin, <laughs> violin. A <laughs> bit, bit more time for me to find this one because um, there are quite a few people of that name that have played first-class cricket. Okay. When I worked out the person in question, Shah Anudin took 105 wickets for a variety of teams. He didn't just play for the Indians against the Europeans. He played for the Muslims, Hyderabad, Madras, Central India, and, and this is the bit I enjoyed, and this is the bit I'm going to tell you about, a team called the Free Looters. The what? Free looters. Is that just someone mispronouncing free loaded? I don't think it is. And the free looters, believe you me, this is interesting stuff. This is cricket archive shit. Okay. And believe me, I've had a real go here. The free looters played in first class cricket and a few other comps that had um, first class status. Okay. In the early 1930s, only 31 people played for them. A pretty select crew, I, I, you would say. 31 players played for England in the 1989 Ashes series. That's not a lot of human beings. Okay. Included within that group, yeah. that select group. It's not a full bus, so you can probably get them on a minibus. VJ fucking Merchant, VJ fucking Hazare, and Leary Constantine. What? I know, right? So I just clicked on Free Looters thinking, what a weird team name to have in his bio. Sure. Free looters. Two of the all-timers in Merchant and Hazare. Okay. And Sir Leary, or Lord Leary, or whatever he finished in the House of Lords, whatever it was. Yeah, Baron. Here. Baron, was it? Baron. Baron Constantine. And, and it's actually where VJ Merchant got his start in 1931. Just his third first-class game was for the Free Looters. He played four times for them before advancing to bigger and better things. Leary, I can only assume, was on the way back home from England after their 1933 trip, and he stopped in to India for a few games there including the semi-final... That's a long way around if you go into the Caribbean. I know. I don't really get it either. <laughs> What's he... But he played the semi-final and the final of this comp that had first-class status called the moyen u Dala Gold Cup. And he opened the bowling with our man, the 13-63 guy, okay. Shah Budin. Leary takes eight for in the semi. They take 11 between them. Some ringer, right? Oh, I'm just here to pick yeah. up a game for the freeluders. Goes, you know, first just superstar in West Indian cricket. Then they play in the final. And this final is the last first-class game the Freeluders ever play. Yeah. Leary takes six for. VJ Merchant top scores with 31 in the first innings and 51 in the second. They eventually lose by three wickets in this cup final. Was this just a ring-in team? Was this a piss-take thing? I need to learn more. Nothing online about them. Okay. Really, nothing online about them other than the yeah. cricket archive stuff. Did they do any um, looting? That's I want, what I, I want to learn Did more about. Did they smash in the window of a shop? Freeluders. You know. Yeah, freeluding feels like, you know... After the Rodney King verdict, yeah, they went fucking LA free looting. Like um, the Sublime song, April 26, 1992. There Is was a the... riot on the streets, tell me where were you? <laughs> you were sitting home watching your TV while I was participating in some anarchy. <laughs> you know? Well, I want to know more about free looters. They never played a first-class game again after losing that final. 
don't know if you can, but can you get an order to ONS? That's O N S. Uh, we, it starts with like police radio traffic. Okay. It's one of those. It's a classic of the nineties. Um, Noted. Mash everything up into a song genre. The other thirteen for sixty-three was in eighteen eighty-eight. How many years before nineteen thirty-three is that? That's not fifty-five years as well, is it? That can't be, can it? Eighteen eighty-eight to nineteen fifty-three. Sounds 1933, like thirty-three. Thirty-three plus like 55 twelve. Years. That's 45, 45, annoyingly. So we had a 55-year gap than a 45-year gap. very bad at numbers. Yeah, That's so. why I do this show. This was Merritt Preston um, playing for Yorkshire oh. against the MCC. Not Matt Preston. No, not Matt. A quick for Yorkshire between 1885 and 1889. He was clearly class. He got on Shrewsbury's tour of Australia in, in 87, 88. In 1888 is when he took his 13 for 63 against the MCC in an end-of-season game. But in November 1890, tragically, just two years on, he quotes caught a chill and died wow caught a chill caught a chill and died and died yeah at age 27 oh that could happen in those days it's a bit like Fred Grace isn't it yeah. who died from having acquired pneumonia from a wet mattress on a boat back a from Australia a wet mattress on the boat that's they always say that'll get you but Merritt Preston who was you know a proper cricketer yeah died of a chill he was buried wow. at Yeadon Churchyard where seven years earlier Albert Ludy was laid to rest after being struck on the head in a club match by Preston nine days after getting married. He got buried. By Preston? He got buried. Hang on. So, so the guy who gets the chill had earlier hit someone in the head with a cricket ball. Who had died. Who had died. Jesus. And he got buried next to him. Awkward conversation. Oh, maybe, maybe not next to him. Maybe I've misread that. Let's read that again. <laughs> you tell me. Okay. You, re- you tell me. He was buried in Yearden Churchyard where, comma, yeah. Seven years earlier, comma. Yep. Albert Ludy was laid to rest after being struck in on the head in a match by Preston okay. nine days after getting married. I think they were buried in the same churchyard, but not next to each other. Yeah, yeah. But still, but it's not going to be a very big churchyard. There's no. still going to there's still going to be a point of awkward conversation, right? Anyway, tragic comedy to complete our thirteen for sixty three fellas, the four of them. But what I really want to know, free looters CC, tell me more. And if you know more about the um the burial of. Merritt Preston, I wouldn't mind learning more about that as well. Wow. Okay, I want to know more about that as well. This is all. This is all things that. It's just the start of everything, not the yep. end of everything. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got uh, one more number. It's a double header. It's from Rory Seymour and Liam Jolliffe, and it's both in pounds, two sixty-four. There's no clue from Rory, but there is one from Liam. Yes. Thought that I should point you in the right direction for my pledge as a New Zealander with match figures of two for 64, are not necessarily an obvious place to look. No, they're not. No, they're not. Jeff. Okay. So we're not doing test innings figures here. I'm taking him on his word with match figures. Um, there have been 10 New Zealanders to take two for 64 in men's tests in an innings, none in women's tests. ODIs, more common kind of analysis. There are quite a lot of two for 64s overall. Anyone who takes a bit of tap and gets a couple of catches in the deep. For New Zealanders, Trent Bolt did it, done it twice. There's a game where he gets bashed around by Bairstow, Mutler, Butler, Moeen in 2018, New Zealand chase the target in the last over, okay. maybe, could be something to do with that. There's a routine win over Sri Lanka in the 2015 World Cup. Lockie Ferguson does it, Adam Milne does it, Matt Henry does it. So there have been five examples since 2015, the most recent being at the 2015 World Cup. And then before that, the next one going back for New Zealand is warm-up game for the 1992 World Cup. So a bunch in the last five years and then nothing... Do you no- think it's possible that this isn't limited overs cricket? It might not be. 
It might be match analysis. But if you hear the word test. match figures, yeah. I tend to think a two innings game. I'll get there. I'm just going oh, through okay. the. My apologies. Just, okay. Just Sorry. going through the um, ODI stuff first. Okay. Uh, Willie Watson, two for 64 of yep. eight overs when Ian Botham was opening the batting and carnage ensued in the warm ups before the 92 World Cup, where England go on to the final. But as far as figures in a match, Doug Bracewell, Hamilton 2012, they get smashed by South Africa. Bob Blair, Johannesburg, 1953, they get smashed by South Africa. <laughs> Uh, Matt Henderson, who sounds like he should have played in the last 20 years, but actually played in the 1930s um, against England. 21 out of the first 30 scores in the game are single figures. Wow. Um, but yeah, Matt, Matt Henderson's a, a, a life coach. He's an influencer right. yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. He's just, I think Matt Henderson just probably works, I don't know, maybe he works in PR for... A, you know, yeah. a company that's not very big. The spawn cons on the weekend. Yeah, you haven't. Yeah, he's doing he's doing some minor Instagram stuff with the yeah. Honey Badger now. Not that's the it. Honey Badger at his peak in terms of you know marketability. Sure, but, but the modern day Nick Cummins. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. That's what that's what Matt Henderson sells pants, with. doesn't he? Probably yeah. But maybe something else. Maybe there's like a I don't know some kind of uh, maybe a hair replacement company. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so. That happens in 1930 in Christchurch. I don't reply to my messages anymore. Uh, but no. why not? Well, we're good for them. 1930, two for 64 across the match. And then Murphy Sewer in Colombo in 1992 when New Zealand get beaten following on. I'd like to talk more about Murphy Sewer another day. He's the first New Zealander with a Samoan background to play for the New Zealand team. Oh, right. Before Ross Taylor did, interesting story, probably not referring to this match. So there are four test matches where it's happened and they've all been hammerings. They've all been New Zealand getting hammered. So I don't know why any of those would be the match analysis that we're being pointed to. So I'm coming back to an ODI. And it's an ODI that it's a win. And it happens in 1983. And it's England again. Something to do with two for 64 and England and New Zealand. It's a Benson and Hedges World Series match in Adelaide. It's you and Chatfield conceding two for 64 this time. And you know who played in this match? Jeremy Coney. JVC. So I'm going to ask Jeremy Coney about what happened in that game. Lots of runs made. Gower get 100. Blue uniform. Pale blue sky. I caught, I caught him out, I think. At deep square, very lucky to catch him. Very hard to judge. Catches dropped a lot that day because you couldn't judge the distance very easily. Um, 296 was a big total. Was that the total they made? I think it was. And, and I overcame a telegram from one of our selectors. Uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Anyway, uh, so that was pinned up somewhere uh, in the showers. And we started off... And, and guys were getting sort of 30s and 40s from my mind. Cairns was elevated up the order and got a 50. Great pitch. Short boundary square, of course. I, I went and I don't know what number, maybe number six. And in my typical way, played forward. <laughs> Pushed it back to the bowler. And I don't know, I must have been on about... I might have got a 50. And Warren Lees came into bat with me. And we were just um, pushing single paddles I batted with a long time, who, who actually got 70 and kept us all going. Um, 
and we just honestly it was just getting hotter and hotter paddles and I remember we were running a lot of sing, singles and twos and that sort of thing especially when you hit it down the ground I talk about this being Bob's day I was facing Willis that day and I was playing off the back foot and I just whacked him straight back over his head it went very high I think we must have run three and it only would have been where the circle would have finished (laughs) and um, paddles then we got out and Wally Lees came in and we must have metered about sort of 10 to 15 and we ran some of the worst singles I think that I've seen in the history of the game you know um, hitting straight to sort of backward point and off we would go and honestly anyway it was a nightmare but we got there and I went in up to the room and I didn't take anything off and just went under the shower with my pads on I'd left my bat outside thank heavens and my gloves I peeled them off but just just lay there and someone brought a chair in I was absolutely knackered um, we, but we won the game that was extraordinary it was an extraordinary game when we just kept on going um, India were in that series as well I think were they? No no it was England and Aussie and us that was probably one of our best I think it was the highest chase actually at the time you wouldn't get it on another ground it was it was a terrific ground and good you know uh, to play but those are the individual things I can remember I can't think of we, we didn't really think about this is a big total we knew it was obviously a big total those were the days when you got 250 and you thought you'd done quite well 290 it was just that was way beyond and we just kept on going we just kept on going so uh, and and a, and a great celebration later that night I do remember that and um, <laughs> we, we were just a good little team you know and and we managed to get by that day and, and just extended ourselves and just showed each other actually what we could do if we really kept at it. So Ian Botham opens in this game as well, makes 65 off 54 balls. David Gower 109 off 85 balls and a guy called Trevor Jesty, who I've never heard of, 52 off 35 balls. Have you heard of Trevor Jesty? Am I ignorant here? I think he's working with Matt Henderson on Instagram. <laughs> the jester, he must have been Speaking called. of cricketing, rhyming slang, sure. one has a David Gower. You know what mm. they're doing. Shower? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just in clear. <laughs> right. Okay. An hour of David Gower power. <laughs> I just want you to think about that again. This is 1983. These are strike rates of 120, 128, and 148 yeah. in a one day in 1983. By contrast, Chris Tavares opens the batting and makes 16 or 54 balls. And a couple of other slow innings mean that despite these monstrous strike rates, England don't even hit a run a ball. They make 296 for five. That's still a huge score in that era. Not as big as it could have been, but massive. And New Zealand go and chase it with seven balls to spare. Lance Cairns, 49 off 24 balls. Jeremy Coney, 47 not out of 51. The great finisher. The great finisher. And Hadley, Richard, 79 off 64 balls. Absolutely monsters them at the end. Gets out just before the end. Warren Lees, the keeper, comes out and makes one not out to get them home with JVC. They smash around Botham, Eddie Hemmings, and Jesty, Trevor Jesty, after his good day, goes for heaps. They're the, the bowlers who leak a lot of runs. When you're a bit chesty, you're a bit 
bit Trevor Jesty. Trevor Jesty. I'm a bit Trevor Jesty yeah, at the moment. A bit Trevor congested at the moment. Um, I'm going to have to look up Trevor Jesty after this. Anyway, they make the finals. They win a lot of games in that series. They lose the finals. But that's part of Coney's streak that we've spoken oh, yeah, about yeah, before, yeah. that he was never dismissed in a winning run chase. And he batted in quite a few of them, maybe 11 or 13, something like that. Never dismissed. The only player, if he were ever dismissed, he'd have the highest winning run chase average ahead of MS Stoney. So anyway, that's that may be the game that we're talking about. I don't know why you'd go for Ewan Chatfield's two for 64. I don't know what it was about that. But if it was indeed the case, then Liam Jolly, if you can let me know. Rory Seymour, the chances of that being your answer are very low, but not zero. So I included you in this double header and you can follow up if you want to give me a clue to find your correct answer in the weeks to come. That's the way to do it. Thank you to you both. Uh, Stuart Akers <clears throat> is my last number via the revisit. Um, Let's it? just say, if you want to send in a nerd pledge, patreon.com slash the final word. And that's how you help us make this show, even when we're doing it at absolutely stupid times like this at the end of play after the first day of the yeah, Which is only counterproductive to what tomorrow is going to be. Um, Stuart Acres, 343. That's for me. That's a revisit. Mm. We have more information. Why don't you reveal that? Okay, I will. Uh, just heard my number on Storytime 134. He says, I appreciated your attempts to find a fit. However, the timing was pure coincidence. Oh, this was the one that we thought had come in just before the Queen had died and the South Africa-England test, and we were oh, trying yeah. to find something linked to that oh, yeah, date. yeah, I remember that, yeah. They said, there is no link. My number is simply cricket-related to do with an Australian cricketer who didn't play many international games, active from the late 80s to the early 90s. I always thought he looked a bit like Eric Idle. Eric Idle from Monty Python, yeah, always yeah. look on the bright side of life. Did you find anyone who looked like Eric Idle? Well, near enough's good enough, I think, on this one. Uh, look, David Hook's averaged 34.3, but I don't think that's going to be the right answer. I do think you can make David a case... David Hook's looked like Eric Idle, no. You can make a case that Tony Dottomay did, though, if you really want to, if you squinted it. And Dotters was capped yeah. 343. So that's good enough for I me. I guess they both sort of have cheeks. They both have those slightly, like, squeezable, you know, cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how we go with this. So we've done a daughter's answer before, but I think that was a pretty long time ago. So I'll recap. These days, known as the Australian Selector, via the MCC, where he was the cricket boss doing the job that Jamie Cox does these days. He was the chief executive of the at the Wacker and also at Cricket Victoria for a time. Uh, known for a memorable test taboo against New Zealand in 1987 at his home ground, the MCG, making a half century and, and taking six for 58. What I didn't realise, that 50 on debut took him 191 balls to compile. Wow. I mean... It's Cameron Green, yeah. Boxing Day test, broken finger sort of areas. Yeah, well, long, I mean, it's one of the longest half centuries ever, right? But unfortunately, like, balls face such a vague thing you go way Not back recorded. Yeah. So I don't know where that sits exactly, but I'll, yeah. I'll be willing to punt that that's like in the top 50, slowest 50s ever, you know, something I'll like that. I'll be in the top 50. Yeah, the top there's got to be some joker in, you know, 1898 who takes sure seven hours to make half yeah, century. There'll, there'll be, yeah, I mean, there's the, tri there's the Boyle, the yeah. Boyle Bailey. Bailey. Who, who took um, Barnacle. over 200 balls, 250 yeah. balls, I think, for a 50. He's on the wall, Australia. I think. His picture's on the wall in the TMS box. In it here. is, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it is, yes. Um, a lot of lovely old shots in there. Yeah, had this brilliant side-on action. Also took a five for a one-day debut against uh, Sri Lanka at Perth in January 88. He gets an extended run after that in 88. Goes on the Pakistan tour. Does well on roads. Gets a home summer against the Windies. At least the first couple of test matches, but runs into Viv at the Wacko when he makes that. 100 and actually you know, it was 200 I reckon Viv made in, um, at the Wacker against Australia in, in that series he's brought back four years later in Sri Lanka in 1992 we've spoken about that series plenty in the context of 
Shane Warne and Greg Matthews and the biggest comeback for Australia in, in Test cricket history. Dottomay's there for all of that. On the back of a massive Shield season, 91-92, he took 43 wickets at 19.9 and famously had a fabulous Shield final in 1990-91, taking five for 25 in the second dig after taking three for in the first dig to bowl Victoria to victory. Strictly speaking, he, he, he didn't bowl them to victory because they chased down 240-odd, but he gave them the chance to win after sure. conceding a pretty hefty first innings deficit. Okay. So he, he, he plays in the, um, in the Dino test where he makes 100 not out in Sri Lanka, which is when Jones has dropped. Dottomade's dropped as well after that. So that's the end of his run in test cricket. Slightly longer second run in the one-day team after the same gap between 88 and 92. 12 games, uh, including the, the tri-series against the Windies and Pakistan in 92-93. And I've got to say, that made me very excited as an eight-year-old boy that a Victorian player who I felt like had his international career finished years before was, was playing again for Australia and also in the brilliant lightning bolt uniform. Um, the 92-93 is the best of the best when it comes to Aussie kit. Um, went on the New Zealand trip as well, although didn't play the test matches, played the one day as the last series that, um, one of the last series anyway, that wasn't on television back to Australia. Spent some time at Sussex a few years uh, between times, including um, the 89 summer. So he kind of did what Sean Abbott and Michael Nisa did in 89. Right. He just needed to be there and had a great time of it playing county cricket down at Hove. With a bit of luck, could have been called up in 89, but not to be. But he is, I think, the only player in Test history to play his first four Test matches against four different countries. He wore cap 343 for Australia. Good guy, big life in the game. And I suppose he, he could be like a Monty Python character yeah. in the Eric Idle frame as I well. Like that, I like that little stat. Four, four games against four different countries. First I never four. thought about that. Yeah, yep. Never thought about that being a thing. So that would that have been New Zealand, up. Pakistan, West Indies and yeah. Sri Lanka, I suspect. Okay. Yeah. I like those those niche things. There's there's a stat. There's a little, not that little. There's a stat that could happen during this Ashes series. I'm not oh, going to really? tell you anything more than that. But I've, I is have... it to do with 200 wickets and bowling attacks? No, nope. because Daniel is off his chops about some stat that I don't understand. And it's not that complicated, but he's got some idea about all of the bowlers having taken 200 wickets or something. Australia had that already. When well, Moeen because Moeen's close, right? So it oh, could be Broad, Moeen, there. Anderson, and. Well, Australia had it with when Cummins went when Cummins went past two hundred. Australia had it with Stark, Hazelwood, Lyon, Cummins. Yeah, it'd be eight bowlers in the same test. Stokes on one ninety five, one ninety two, one ninety five. Not sure. Moeen's about the same. Moeen's one ninety five. Right. Yeah. Well, this one is not that, but if it happens, it's going to be amazing, and it could happen across the next few weeks. Get That's James Sherry involved. So, <laughs> good man. Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw, and you're listening to the Final Word podcast. Uh, Matt Gaynor is our last revisit with the $7 flat. We talked about who had taken seven wickets in their career. We uh, did. It was about, it was something to do with someone who, well, so Matt didn't give a clue, but we had a doubleheader with John Lanstall, who had a clue about a player who it was sad that they had never got the chance to take more than their seven wickets. That ended up being Major William Booth, who we talked about on the show last ah, week. Ah, yes. Um, but Matt came through and said, well, my, his clue sort of matches my number, but it wasn't that answer. It's not Major Booth. It's oh, right. someone else. Anyway, okay. there's a follow-up here. If okay. You, well, if I'll, I'll read it to this. you, Matt Gaynor. Excellent correspondent of mine. I'm in an email chain with him, a couple of others. I suspect myself and the other nerd pledges have the same answer, as their clues 
fit my player and Jeff talked around the answer so much that I thought he had it on a couple of occasions. 7.00 works nice for this player with the decimal point in a different place. One international, one domestic. Neither of which relate to wickets taken. The test is to work out what both relate to. Right. So it works twice for the same player, once international, once domestic, and it's not about wickets taken, so it can't be Major William Booth. But I think I think I may have this after match back and okay. forth. Um, a mention on the way through for John Maguire, and I want to address one piece of confusion here. This is not John McGuire, who was the excellent Western Australian first-grade top-order bat. He was one of the few Aboriginal players in grade cricket at the time. He was an absolute star of WA grade cricket, made over 10,000 runs in first grade and never got picked for WA through the 80s and 90s. For Well, it didn't make as far as the 90s. I think he started maybe late 70s and went through the 80s. And you can probably make a pretty good guess at the reasons why he didn't get picked. So every player in WA grade cricket who made more than 7,000 runs in their career played for WA at some point, except for John Maguire. Oh, what, a, what a coincidence. I see. Now, it, it, it seems like it's, it's just like a little extra insult accidentally, I think, that he, if you look him up, he gets confused on a lot of websites with the other John Maguire, who did play three test matches for Australia. He spelt Maguire M-A-G, not M-C-G, so they're right. different spellings. But you'll find profiles of John Maguire, the test player, with photos of John Maguire, the great... Not like photos of Eddie Maguire. No, 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 no Eddie no, everywhere Eddie is not nowhere there. in this, okay. Yeah, funnily enough, um, keeping his distance. So, but John Maguire with the MAG was a white bowler and a South African rebel tourist. So it just seems like a little, a little yuck that those players are getting confused on, you know, profile websites and whatnot that don't actually know what's going on. So MAG Maguire played three tests, um, declined the chance to play more in England in 85 so he could go to South Africa and, and get the blood money. And he's not the player for this pledge answer, but I thought it was interesting that in his three tests he averaged 7.00, and in his 23 one-day internationals his batting average was 7.00. Huh. Exactly the same in both formats. The player we're going to talk about is looking for a player who didn't have the chance to add to scarce opportunities, Matthew Nicholson. Somebody that you would have extremely unlucky in. cricketer. Yep, we're looking for an international and a domestic figure with the decimal in different places. So it's got to either be zero point seven or seven point zero or seventy point zero. Well, his test batting average was seven point zero, and he took seventy catches in first class cricket. So there's a domestic and an international number with sevens. Tall, fast bowler, could bat pretty decently. Moves from New South Wales to Western Australia. Debuts against the touring West Indies side in late 1996. This is a weird game. I'd like to find out more about this game. Four-day game at the Wacker. WA declare on 293 for six in the first innings. Ben Stokes vibes out here. Same number today. No, Two, that was 393. Uh, th- sorry, 393. Yeah, 293. Right. 293. That's a very well, you occasionally see that in first-class cricket to set a game up. Yeah, but then the West Indies go on to make 441, set up a match-winning lead and win by 10 wickets, chasing right. about 20. Yeah. So Might have been an agreement with the Windies that they were going to let them bat on the second day and have a pop of them. Not maybe, sure, yeah. maybe. But it's a strange one. Nicholson effectively only bowls once with that short fourth innings, takes three wickets in the first dig. Adam Gilchrist was the captain. Maybe we can corner him and ask him about... Tell me about the West Indies touring game that you were captaining and keeping in 1990. Six, whatever it was. Right. He plays two Shield games that season, takes a few wickets, doesn't do heaps, and then doesn't play for nearly two years with chronic fatigue. When he finally sorts that out and comes back, his first game coming back is against the touring English side in late 1998. Guess who made their first class debut that day? Who? Chris Rogers. Chris Rogers. Okay. Chris Rogers. WA make 334. 
a fair bit of that's down to Matthew Nicholson, who's at number eight, comes out in clubs 58, not out. Comes in after Simon Kadic gets out for a hundred and then helps him add 85 more. And then Mark Butcher retires hurt. Do you want to know why he retires hurt? Hitting the... Matt Nicholson smashed him in yeah, the fucking head. That's right. It's like he pretty much bowled himself into the test team in yeah. that game. Yeah. Because of how quickly he bowled. Right. Crawley, John Crawley, gets out for seven. NASA Hussain digs in with Graham Thorpe and Mark Ramprakash for a while, and then eventually Nicholson starts to gear up. He gets out Thorpe, Hussain, Ramprakash, Dominic Cork, Warren Hegg, Robert Croft, Darren Goff, in a row, seven on the scorecard in a row, and he ends up with seven for 70, remembering our number is seven. Let's get back to the seven. So he's picked as a bolter for the Boxing Day test. Uh, two months later, takes four wickets, makes 14 runs, out twice, average of exactly seven. Well, he, a few things about that test match that I know too much about. Day one, bowls quick. Doesn't probably finish with great figures, but gets an edge of, I think, Nass. I think Nass is his first test wicket. But Brett Lee does it a year later and, and sustains it. But he was quick that day, was a bolter. Good-looking guy, young fella and all the rest of it. Then in the second innings, takes three for, helps, you know, contribute to Australia getting into a position where they can chase it all down on, well, it was the third day of cricket, but the fourth day of the match because day one yep. was rained out. He's the guy batting with Steve Waugh at the end. So Steve Waugh not only, not only asks for the extra half an hour, okay. asks for another half an hour after that. Right. And he's holding up an end batting with Waugh. Then when that partnership's broken, he I think Headley out, breaks yeah. it. And then Goff, of course, gets McGrath and gets the stump above his head and the Barmy Army run across right. the field. But Nicholson and Steve Waugh gave them hope for about... Maybe, yeah, no more than half an hour to stem the flow of the collapse, if you like. Right. Well, so he... All on debut. All on debut. It was a lively debut. It sounds exactly that way. And then never plays again. It's um, crazy. Injuries, he's sort of lower enough in the pecking order that, you know, when he's, when he's a chance, he gets injured. And then when he's fit, he's... It actually he's came up there. today. I was talking to Flem about Matthew Wait. Nicholson today. And it, it came up... Wow. Um, it came up in relation to... We were sitting with Bumble and... Sounds like pr proper name dropping shit. It's not. It, it's got context. Bumble and Tuffers at the back, and they were talking about the Zimbabwe tour of '96 and how fucking murdered them. Well, it was less about that and more about the, like the physical threat they were under. They felt they were under when there was a lot of disquiet and yeah, it was basically a, a very punchy tour in a lot of ways, a lot of aggro back and forth. And uh, in Bulawayo is where Matthew Nicholson, as Flem popped up and said, oh, that's where we played a tour game there as well. Matthew Nicholson got the yips there. And I remember the reports coming back from this because, you know, it was his first hit out, I think, following the um, test debut. Yeah, it would have mm. been because it was before the 99 test in, in um, Harare. Australia played a tour game at Bulawayo first. The Southern Cross Trophy. Exactly. So he mm. played in that test match, in that first class game rather, and was bowling balls, as the reports in the paper said, and Flem confirmed today, to second slip, to fine leg, over the keeper. He, had, he had just had a capitulation, which... Not only put him out of the test side, but put him out of the calculations full stop. And it took him a long time to rebuild Wild. before moving back to New South Wales. Imagine, imagine like having Pick a, up. a bad day or a bad week or whatever it is. And that's it. They're like, nah, you're no good. But now. I think that like that's next level though, isn't it? Like yeah. as a professional, when sure. you have the yips to that extent, Simon Kerrigan had happened in a test match to him as well. And like yeah. a traumatic experience. Only really got back on his feet a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. As a young fast bowler, I mean, everyone's had it happen to them. But every cricketer's had the yips. But for it to happen... When you're yeah. playing for a, well, when you've just made your test debut, it, it's cruel. It's cruel. It's cruel. Um, he ended up back in New South Wales. He won the 2005 Shield in that final. He took another seven wickets. The man of sevens, Matthew Nicholson. I reckon that might be the answer for Matt Gainer. Good cricketer. I'm glad that came up today because, as I say, it was only this afternoon, just before tea, when when that when that name came up and 
and here we are. As we always say, story time has a funny way of drawing back together. Well, a kind of a version of that to finish our show this evening. As Graham Kennedy says at the end of the odd angry shot, well, here we are then. Here we are. Um, is it John Jarrett who's in that alongside him? I think it might you know be. what? Young I've never John actually Jarrett. seen the odd angry shot. I feel okay. like I should because it's in that. It's kind of, I mean, by now it's pretty hokey. Like it comes across as pretty corny right. in its representation of the, the war. But in a way it's still effective. But the odd angry shot, I think, was in the previews. I watched Gallipoli many, 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 many times. Oh, it's earlier kid. than that. No, it's, it's in the 70s, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think the Gallipoli tape that I had as a kid had like the previews for Odd Angry. Maybe he's had right. previews of another film before. Sure. It's got a really <laughs> dreadful sort of jingle on the preview. Oh, Odd Angry yeah. shot. Aussies yeah. being Aussies. It's, yeah. it's no good. They basically give you a pricey of the whole plot. Like the jingle goes for about four and a half minutes and they pretty much summarise the entire film plot. Yeah. It's like, what's yeah. the point? Kind of what I did on the Bluey it. thing the other day. Right. Um, yeah, that actually went for longer than the episode, yeah. which was impressive in its own way. But it is Graham Kennedy being, you know, cheeky and, oh, there he is. Oh, look at him. Oh, with his little face and his there little There he jokes is saying fuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bless him. R.I.P. A lot of R.I.P.s today. <laughs> JFK. <laughs> GFK. Was his middle initial? Gra -gra. Maybe it was. Gra you know, a lot of Kennedys that we're saluting yeah, on, true. on the way down the river today. That might be the episode title of a Dead Kennedys. Kennedys. Oh, God. Dead Kennedys. Oh, God. Fucking do it. I dare you. <laughs> I'll think about it. All right. This has been the final word story time. A, um, a, a, a slightly slower, quieter and tighter final word. But here we are. This is what we're doing across this summer in which we cannot stop and we will not stop. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. If you want to send Join a pledge Join the patron. Patron.com slash the final word. Why wouldn't you right now? Everything's Great happening. Time. We've got a massive Discord thing happening tomorrow night. There's a live show yep. at the Oval, well, around the Oval Test Match, which we're organising at the moment. There, which will there'll be a discount for our you know patrons as part of that. Yep. There's there's the ad free feed ad -free coming feed up. Feed coming up. There's, lot, there's all these different reasons we're trying yep. to make it more and more appetising to be a patron. And why wouldn't you want to be part of this bloody beautiful community, the nicest yeah. corner of the internet, and help us do this stupid, ridiculous stuff that we are doing exactly. across the next few weeks? It'd be it'd be heartening to have you on board. Anyway, if you've made it this far, uh, thank you, bless you, we love you very much. And from Birmingham, a good evening. Have a nice weekend. I had to go about